Welcome to the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Each week on the podcast, you'll hear stories and tactics from experts and influencers who will provide you with actionable steps to transform your business and your life. I'm your host, Larissa McClemon, and I help salon owners move from stress and overwhelm to lead a life of freedom and profit by implementing a strategic framework to grow and scale their business. So wherever you are in the world, I want to officially invite you to join me in this episode and make an important step in your journey towards more freedom and more profit. You want to be a successful salon owner, right? Maybe even a million dollar salon owner? To live a lifestyle where you choose the hours that you work, but earn enough to enjoy a life outside of the salon so you can spend more time with your family and doing other things that you love. It's the dream. However, it's not just going to happen just like that. And if it was that easy, everyone would be doing it, right? To get to this point in your career, it comes down to being committed and dedicated. You have to build a business business of clients that are loyal to your brand that will follow you and your team you can't grow a successful salon without a team right so it's crucial that you gain respect from the industry from your peers and future team members it requires you to think beyond the chair I don't know about you but when I became a business owner I wasn't fully prepared for all the roles that I'd have to take on and like you have to be good at more than just cutting hair right You have to create a culture that people are inspired by, a vision that is unique to you, your brand, and then your team. If you want to get there, I believe with the right tools and advice, anyone can. And I want to show you how. So I'm excited about this week's guest. Anthony Whitaker has been in the industry for decades, and his journey is almost parallel to mine, which is why I find Anthony so inspiring and relatable. After being globally recognized for his work in the salon, Anthony began inspiring others on how to be a successful business owner, not just hairdressers. His knowledge and experience will be extremely valuable to you as we move into the new year and hopefully full of achieving those dreams that you've always wanted. All right, let's meet Anthony. Anthony, thank you so much for joining me on the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Very pleased to have you here. Larissa, it's a great honor and a privilege to be here. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you today. Well, me too. So let's start with this. Um, Anthony, well, who are you? Where are you? And and uh, how did you get to be doing what you're doing? Well, uh, who am I? Uh, Anthony Whitaker. I'm a hairdresser. Um, and I've sort of, you know, morphed multiple times through what comes under that banner of hairdresser. And I'm sure we'll talk about that as we go. Um, but I, I started off uh, in New Zealand, in Wellington, in 1978, so before most of the listeners were even born. And, uh, and then I moved in 1980, I moved to uh, London, and I worked at Sassoon for, for uh, 10 years, and very much on the creative side of the industry. And then uh, 1990, I relocated to, and moved to Australia and opened up my own salons and schools in Sydney, And at one point I had three salons, one of them doubled up as a school and we had about 50 people on the team. Uh, Then 2014, I sold that business and relocated back to the UK. And I've been living back in the UK since 2004. Uh, This is home. And uh, I live uh, just outside of London, about an hour and a half outside of London in a a part of the countryside called the Cotswolds, which is a a beautiful uh, part of the world. 
Um, so that's that's you know who I am and where I am. Uh, what was the other part of it? What, what do I do? How do I do? It? <laughs> so, yeah, take us take us into today. Like, what do you do okay. today? Who are you today? A right, life, well, a, a week in the life of Anthony. <laughs> okay, uh, I I started. You know, life as a salon. Well, I started my business life as a salon owner, as I said, in New Zealand, Australia, in Sydney. And I very quickly realized that just because I was a good hairdresser, it didn't make me a good business person. And so that reality um, hit home really quick. And so, you know, I recognize that you have two choices. You are either uh, going to grow and you're going to learn about the other side of what it takes to succeed, or you're simply not going to survive. And so, you know, I recognize that running a business is often not looked upon as being a creative process, but it is actually a very creative process. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't feel that, you know, I was selling out by starting to focus on the business side of things. Quite the opposite. I, it actually goes back to a, a quote I heard from Andy Warhol. And Andy Warhol was once asked, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, uh, but he was asked something like, you know, what is the most uh, creative art form? And he was asked that because he was, you know, a painter and a photographer and a mime artist. He did several different, um, you know, or dabbled in several different mediums of art. And when they said to him, what is the most creative? He said, business is the most creative art form because, you know, a painting, you do it and it's done. You know, a dance, you do it and it's done or it's open to a lot of interpretation. Whereas a business is either working or it's not working. And, and it, it has to be, and it's constantly evolving. It's a living, breathing thing. And so you have to evolve and grow with it. And so I just remember hearing that and, and thinking, wow, you know, it, it's not, it's a, it's a creative thing to build a brand and build a team and, and to develop a concept in a business and make it work. And so, you know, I had no problem sort of segueing from that sort of creative part of standing behind the chair doing hair and, and, and thinking, okay, I need to now take that into a, a different landscape of building a, uh, a salon business. And, and so that's what I did. And I did that for 14 years. And uh, uh, like everybody, I had my, my good times and bad times. And anyone who says they don't is, is going to lie about other things as well. Um, but essentially, I, I built a great business. I was lucky enough to win, you know, Australian Hairdresser of the Year a couple of times and win lots of awards for marketing and team building and, you know, all those things. And that was great. And, you know, what I, what I recognized as an educator was that I'd be out there teaching people to cut hair. And then bit by bit, people started asking me business-related questions. You know, so you do one side of a haircut and then you get around the other side and you'd say, so has anyone got any questions? And someone would say, how do you pay your staff or... What do you do if people aren't performing? And so I started sort of talking about the business side of, of the industry and what it took to build successful salons really by default. It was never a plan. And, uh, and then, you know, I got asked by one of the manufacturers, could I, could I do a talk about leadership and not do a haircut at the same time? And that was the sort of defining moment because up until that point, you know what hairdressers are like, they talk while they cut hair. And as soon as you, you take the scissors away and you say, here's a microphone, stand in front of 100 people and talk to them, that's a whole nother kettle of fish, you know. And so that was a bit of a, um, a turning point for me. And so I did that and it went really well. And then they asked me if I'd do it all around the country, but could I do it for three hours instead of one hour? So full of bravado, it sort of went from a one-hour presentation to a three-hour presentation. And then it really grew from there. And I turned, you know, my, my education into 
um, uh, my, my, my sort of number one seminar was one called Super Stylist. And then, you know, there's another one called Management, Marketing, Team Building, Money, you know, so it's all the pillars of what it takes to run a successful business. And then, you know, someone said to me, oh, you should turn it into a book. And I was like, yeah, how do you do that? You know, and uh, she said, well, I'll do it for you. And so, you know, this lovely journalist came and sat in on all my seminars, took lots of notes, but then never wrote a book. <laughs> so I thought, well, I'll do it myself. So I, I wrote the book myself and then I took it to her and I said, look, I've written it, but, you know, can you edit it? Because you know, my grammar and punctuation was never my strong suit. So she edited the first one and uh, it, it sold incredibly well and so still sells well today. And I've ended up writing four books. And, uh, you know, th then really from that, people started contacting me about coaching. So I sort of put my hat in the ring to do coaching. And uh, so I always have up to about 15 coaching clients at any one time. Uh, and I work, you know, primarily through manufacturers, but I do a lot of work independent of them as well. Uh, so, you know, I had a very strong affiliation with Schwarzkopf Professional for a few years. And now for the last five years, I have a, a contract with John Paul Mitchell Systems in the United States. So I'm very much aligned with them, uh, as well as doing all my own stuff. So, you know, the next step for me was uh, developing uh, a whole lot of online learning courses because that's very much the way the world's gone. And so I've now turned the first one, Super Stylus, into an online course. And we launched the second one uh, in January. So, you know, I often say to people, hairdressing career for some people is about standing behind the chair for the rest of your life. And that can be great. I've got friends of mine in their 60s who started behind the chair 20 years ago and they still do it and they love every minute of it and they're as passionate about it as before, and good on them. So I'm not saying that I've evolved, in, meaning that I've you know got better than them, because I'm not saying that for one second. I'm just saying that my career path has gone through many different stages of, uh, of evolvement. So uh, yeah, so that sort of brings you up to speed with, with who I am and where I am and what I do. Well, I love that we started in, uh, in the same place, actually. Um, literally in Wellington, New Zealand. Uh, it's a good part of the world, even though it's at the bottom. Um, <laughs> but uh, I really wanted to, you know, bring you here today to talk about some of the things that are happening in the industry. And um, I kind of feel like COVID is at the top of the list and we have to touch on that. It's very, uh, very much part of our everyday life. What have you seen from your sort of perspective have been the biggest challenges um, that have affected the industry? Because I feel like it's not just a sort of a period of time that it's being affected. These are yeah. ongoing changes that we've kind of shifted and pivoted and changed direction yeah. somewhat, and we're not yeah. going back. What mm. are your thoughts? I think that when I often talk, when I talk about COVID, I often use the word accelerator, um, meaning that, you know, two or three years ago, pre-COVID, all of these things were happening. But what might have taken five or 10 years to happen has, has taken 18 months to happen. So just to give you an example, I mean, I, I was working on uh, turning my seminars into online courses pre-COVID um, purely because it was obvious that, you know, the, the internet generation, education is far more easily accessed uh, in an online medium. And so, you know, I would get people 
all the time contacting me saying, you know, when are you coming to fill in the blank, you know, Dunedin or Johannesburg or Salzburg or somewhere, you know what I mean? And the answer would be, well, not until someone books me and, and puts X amount of people in the room and pays my airfare and accommodation and yada, yada. And so as a result, you didn't get to a lot of places because it's simply not financially viable. Putting on education is expensive, you know, and, and paying people's fees and, and, and putting together great content and stuff takes a lot of time. So, you know, it, it's, it's not an easy way to make a living doing that. Uh, whereas if you take it into the online medium, you have a much greater reach because you don't have to put 50 people in the room. You can do it in your own time. You can do it in bite-sized pieces. You can repeat it as often as you want. So it was sort of obvious that education was going to move online and it was doing it pre-COVID. And COVID just accelerated that because you know it, within the first 12 months, Everybody was online, on Zoom and on, on Teams and, and uh, demonstrating online and learning online. So, you know, as an industry, not just as an industry, but, you know, we're talking specifically about the hairdressing, you know, we learned to, 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 to learn online. We learned to teach online and we've sort of stuck our head up and gone, well, actually, that wasn't too bad. And there's a lot of advantages of it. So we are in the place now where we might have been if we didn't have COVID, but in five years time. So it's just accelerated the whole process of uh, how we teach and how we learn and how we communicate, you know. So like the podcast thing is another example. I mean, you have a successful podcast. I have a successful podcast. The whole podcast medium has exploded through COVID. There are, are now nearly 2 million podcasts in the world and, and growing. It's just phenomenal, you know. Um, so, you know, it's been an accelerator in that context. It's also been an accelerator in the context of the evolving business model, because the, um, you know, pre-COVID, this was starting to happen anyway, where the business unit of one had a lot more momentum, and in some countries more so than others. So it's, it's partly to do with this, the iPhone, you know, the, the, the smartphone, not necessarily the iPhone, is that the smartphone has enabled the business unit of one. Whether you're talking about driving a taxi or, or you know, running a restaurant or whatever, on a phone, you can make your bookings, you can do your banking, you can pay your bills, you can book appointments on it, you can run a business on it. So you know, the iPhone is, or the smartphones existed since 2007. So that was very much something that was driving in lots of industries and very definitely the hairdressing industry a, uh, a business unit of one, the independent contractor, the freelancer, the booth renter, the salon suite owner, whatever you want to call them, they're all essentially the business unit of one. And so uh, through COVID, that has accelerated, partially because I think people have had a chance to reassess what they want in terms of their work-life balance. They've had a lot of downtime and a lot of them have gone, do you know what? I'm quite enjoying being at home with the wife and the kids and the, or the husband. And I'm quite enjoying not working so much. And so why do I feel the need to work five days a week, three late nights, 45 hours a week, whatever it is? So it's accelerated people questioning what they want from their life and what they want to do. And as a, as a spin-off from that, a lot of them are becoming independent because they want that autonomy. They want uh, to, to be in control of when they work and how they work. So they want that flexibility. So again, this was happening anyway. And, you know, Gen Z, anyone between the ages of, of what is it, eight and 24, 
were very much um, heading in that direction anyway. And our industry is full of young people. There's a lot of people in our industry under the age of 24. And so they were, were already, you know, uh, questioning, well, how am I going to work in the future? What's important to me? And after the generation before them, they're going, well, I don't actually, don't actually want to work like that. I want a different existence, a different life. And so, you know, COVID is, is uh, accelerating all of these trends. And, and it's not a case of like, oh, you know, we've almost got the world vaccinated. Well, I shouldn't say the world. You know, we've almost got the UK, you know, 80, 90% vaccinated. The US almost the same. Australia almost the same. The Western world, we're getting up there. But, you know, other countries, so the Eastern countries, et cetera, they're, they're, and India, they're way, way down the scale. And as they keep saying, we're not all safe until everyone's safe. So, um, you know, who knows what the future holds, but, uh, you know, COVID has, has changed everything and it's not going to go back to what it was before. People who think that it is uh, are dreaming. You know, it's, it's, it's a different world. You know, the way we live, the way we work, the way we teach, the way we learn, um, it's it's been all changed. Some of those things will come back, but definitely not all of them. Hey, I just wanted to pop in to tell you something. Don't worry, we're going to get back to this awesome episode in just a second. Now, if this sounds like you, listen up. You have a team. You love your team. But you're sick of wondering why and wishing your team would make their sales targets. You want them to be smashing sales because it shows that they're actually looking after their clients really well. Like imagine if you could have a way to make more from the clients that you already have, increase sales without spending more on advertising. Well, it's totally possible and I want to help you. And I want to help you do it with ease, in a classy way. No hard and dirty sales tricks here. Ways to serve your clients, make more, because everybody wins. The team, the client, and of course, you, the business owner. Now, if you want to find out more, just DM me uh, and let's chat. I'll make a plan for you. I'm also going to leave a link for you on the show notes of this episode. All right, let's get back to the episode. And in a slightly different shape, I think it puts uh, a lot of pressure on the business owner to pivot and change and get ahead a little bit of the changes uh, because it's hard being in business when you're reactive and we're constantly trying to change and keep up with things, whether it's the demands of the teams or um, the legal aspects of things that we have to now comply, you know, compliance, uh, it puts a lot of pressure on the business owner, not only for yeah. looking after yourself and your own family and your own safety, but we're responsible for a team of people. And um, yeah, it, it's a lot to take in. Um, have you observed that also, you know, the pressures that we're under as business owners? Yeah, it's interesting. I think, I think part of the problem is of our own making. I, I, Ten minutes before I got on this call, I was on a clubhouse room in the US, uh, or most of the people were on the from the US, and we were talking about this in in that room. And I was saying how the independent movement um, gets a lot of oxygen. You know, it's it's it's. It, social media, different podcasts, magazines, there's so much oxygen being given to the freelance independent movement. And it's not a bad, it's not, I'm not saying the independent thing's a bad thing. It is right for a lot of people and the technology we have now uh, makes it right. Uh, do I want to be a client in a salon suite? No. 
Uh, do I want to work in a salon suite? No, but I recognize that some people do want to be in that environment as hairdressers and as clients. So what I'm saying to you here is, is that on this clubhouse room, I was sort of saying, you know, what needs to happen in this industry is that the salon industry in terms of the, the traditional business model is lacking in leadership. And I really believe that, that there, you know, that there are people in this industry who are great leaders. I mean, people like Paul Seville, in, uh, Paul Hudy Seville, sorry, in, in Auckland. He's a fantastic leader. He's built up a fantastic, you know, business that people all over New Zealand should aspire to. Oh, my God, that's what building a hairdressing business can be like, you know. But um, there's a lack of, but Paul's, he's not young anymore. You know, I used to work, I didn't work with Paul, but when I was in New Zealand and, you know, growing up there, when I, mean, I left there when I was 22, but Paul would come down to Wellington. I'd bring him down to do seminars. And he was like 28 or something. I was 22. Uh, he's no longer 28, you know, but, but where is the new generation of really strong, vibrant, positive, uh, traditional salon owners for the new generation to look up to. And I, and I think that there's a shortage of them. And I think that um, in our industry, and this is all over the world, and this is me included, is that what happens is a lot of people opened up salons, and you'll, you'll probably say this was you as well, Larissa, that we opened up salons not prepared for the reality of what running a salon was all about. And unfortunately, that is the story of hairdressing. Most people open up salons that are hairdressers, and most people open up salons without any business education or training. And they basically just think, because I'm a good hairdresser, I'll be good at running a hairdressing business. And the two things are completely different. And I think that one of the things that COVID has done is it sort of shone a light um, on how, um, how badly run a lot of salons are. Because as soon as the, the doors had to be closed, and I know you haven't had a lot of lockdowns in, in New Zealand, uh, but as soon as the doors had to be closed, the cash flow stopped. And unless the government stepped in straight away, very few businesses were, were viable. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's not anything new to say to people that as a business owner, you should always have at least three months, at least three months worth of savings at any one time. Well, the reality of it is there's very, very few salons that had anything like three months worth of savings. And that, you know, as soon as they ended the end of the first week, they were in trouble, you know. So uh, I, I think that it sort of shone a light on the fact that as business owners, that uh, the salon industry needs to really lift their game and become better uh, business managers, become better financial controllers, become better marketeers, because you don't build a successful business just standing behind the chair with a column of clients. If that's what you want to do, go and work for somebody else. You'll have less stress and make more money and it'd be better for the industry as well. So. Absolutely. I mean, I think most, uh, I see a lot of owners who are being paid less than their staff, working double the amount of time um, and but are in it for the love of the industry. And I think that's, that's, we've got it upside down there, um, yeah. and I agree. We need to get some business education and um, behind us and step up to that role. Um, yeah. We certainly have seen that throughout New Zealand and Australia. Uh, those that are going well 
have continued or even have thrived post-COVID and lockdowns. Um, and then it, it's a game of two halves, really, and that those yeah. others have really fallen away and there's been a lot of closures. Mm. Sad to see. Yes, it is. But unfortunately, you know, it's hard to get accurate statistics anywhere uh, in the hairdressing industry, to put it mildly. Uh, but they're, they're talking in the UK here, something like seven to 8,000 salons that have already gone. Um, but uh, they also, you know, talk about how now that furlough has ended and now that the uh, we had a, um, I'm not sure what the term is, is it a moratorium? Uh, I'm going to use that word. Let's use that. Uh, against landlords couldn't evict you because you couldn't pay the rent. But now that's finished as landlord protection scheme. Uh, so that's over, um, and uh, 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 the the furlough program is over. So now, what's happening? If salons have survived, a lot of them have got a lot of debt to to pay off. So you know, mm. debts to, to landlords, um, to banks, they've got loans to repay, and so a lot of them, I think, as as we enter the end of this year and the beginning of next year, a lot of them will stick their head above the parapet and realize that. Um, uh, some of their staff haven't come back because that's been a big consequence that's happening all over the world is that a lot of people just haven't come back. Uh, so the often salons are facing a, uh, a lower uh, weekly revenue because they've got lower staff coming in and they in some cases still have some uh, COVID restrictions on them in terms of social distancing, etc. So they've got less revenue, less staff, and yet they've got all this debt to clear. And I think some of them will stick their head above the parapet and go, do you know what? I'm just working for the landlord here. This is pointless. And they'll pull up the drawbridge and, uh, and whatever shape and form that looks like. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't suggest to you that it's over in terms of the repercussions of that. But then on the other side of that, there are new businesses that are always opening. But we'll definitely see a shrinking uh, of the economy in every area, including in the hairdressing industry. Which is always an opportunity for uh, a small percentage of people to lift the game and rise above. Um, I want to go back to you know, the focus of uh, the industry splitting and people becoming independent, because yeah. I actually think this is a great opportunity for those who want to build a team. And I've had this conversation with several people now um, because there's often the conversation around fear, my team are leaving, they want to work from home or they have been working at home while we've been closed, um, the sweet argument. And I think the mistake for team-based salons to make is to try and compete with that. Because that's the natural, when, when you have that, the natural instinct is to, I must compete, I must um, provide better. And Whereas I actually think we need to not compete with that and not be apples and apples, but apples and oranges and, and create something that's completely different yeah. uh, and appeal to the people that is a different demographic of people that are going to work for themselves and be independent. And there are mm. always going to want, be people that want to be part of a team. Um, and it's on us to build something that people want to be part of, a culture yeah. or um, a roadmap of career progression and forward thinking mm. that people can belong to. Yeah, Would you agree? Yeah. Totally. That, that we need, it needs to be aspirational. And when I, I started agree. hairdressing, it was aspirational. And if you ask, you know, the first 10 hairdressers that you see, what, what do you dislike most about the hairdressing industry? 
they will probably say something along the lines about the fact that we're not taken seriously. It, it will come at, they will come at that answer from all sorts of directions, but basically it will be about how hairdressing is not respected. And I'm going to say to you that I think hairdressers are their own worst enemy as far as that goes, because, you know, if you're a parent, okay, and the hairdressing industry has turned into a sea of business units of one who are, you know, cutting hair in the garage or in the back room or going around to see people's houses to do their hair. Is that aspirational? No. Would you want your kid to do that? No. So as an industry, we have to be really, you know, aware of how we're changing the industry and not necessarily for the better. And that's why I was saying before about, I think there's a lack of leadership in terms of the traditional side of the business model, you know, saying, you know, this, I'm building up a brand there. Look at this. You know, I use Paul Tudy Seville as an example. You know, you, you look at his business. It's fantastic business that, that would hold its head up anywhere in the world. Where are the young people today going, I want to build a business like Seville's, you know, and in every country out there. I mean, you know, there's, there's these salons in uh, Atlanta, uh, Van Michael salons. I don't know if you know of them. They're fantastic. You know, they've got a group of six salons that I would arguably say, and I'm very well-traveled and I live in the, U in the UK and there's a lot of good salons in the UK, but I'm going to say to you, the Van Michael salons are arguably the best salons in the world, you know? And so you go along and see them and it's like, my God, this all started with some kid standing behind the, sh the chair shampooing and he's built this business it, it's not about building a business in your back room or going around to someone's house to do a few haircuts that they're hobby hairdressers and you know is there a place for them yes there's always been a place for them in the industry but for christ's sake let's not let's not take the industry on mass in that direction and the only way that that stops happening is when we build more aspiring, aspirational brands and develop great businesses. And that only happens when hairdressers who open businesses become really, you know, committed to showing another way and wanting to build a positive brand that is aspirational for both clients and for young hairdressers and for and for parents to look at and go, yeah, I really want my kid to work there. That would be great for them. What a what a great training they're getting in life. Yeah, I love that. Um, over the years, we've been in the industry a while now, Anthony. <laughs> What's something that you have really that breaks your heart about this industry? We're such a heart-based uh, industry. What is something that um, you find a little bit heartbreaking? Well, in, I, I told you I started in 1978. Uh, I moved to London in 1980 and I had an interview at Sassoon. And when I had my interview at Sassoon, there was uh, easily 80 people for the interview, queuing down the stairs, in the corridor, out into the street and around the corner. And it was like that every single week. Now, it's not like that anymore for Sassoon or for anybody. But when I started hairdressing, it was an exciting, vibrant time. Being a hairdresser was a sexy thing to do. And there was a lot of people that wanted to do it. Now, fast forward to today. Um, there's a lady who I'm sure you know, Sandy Chong, who heads up the AHC in Australia. And I interviewed Sandy on my podcast last year. And she was saying to me that the 
percentage, and I think I've got this right, I'm 99% sure this is right. She said over 80% of people who start a hairdressing apprenticeship in Australia do not last the first 12 months. That breaks my heart. In the United States, it's over 80% of people in the industry do not last two years. So why is that? Now, I don't know the figure for New Zealand. I'm sure you've probably got more insight into that than what I do. But I can imagine it's a it's a global trend. And so, you know, why is that? I think for many reasons, it's because the expectations that are painted are, are unrealistic expectations. That, you know, there's a lot of talk. But social media is, is partly to blame for this, but but we fuel social media, you know, talking about what's possible. And is it possible for an employee to earn $100,000 a year? you know, which is, which is in the in, in US dollars, which is double the American wage, uh, average wage, not, not hairdressing wage, double the average American wage, $100,000. Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. Is it normal? No. The average hairdresser in America earns under 30 grand a year, you know, US dollars. The average hairdresser in the UK earns under, uh, what is it, 24,000 pounds a year. So, so we paint this the story of you can be the six-figure hairdresser and have this great lifestyle and, hey, you're in control of your own destiny and you can have all the autonomy you want. And you can work part-time and, you know, you can have all the flexibility you want, Gen Z. Uh, and, you know, you can keep all the money, but you're telling people a lie. You, you can earn a hundred grand a year, but you ain't going to do it on three days a week. You know, you, you, you're going to be working flat out five days a week at least. You know, you're going to be doing at least 40, if not 45 hours a week. You're going to be bookum dano. Do you know what I mean? You're going to go without lunch. You're going to fit people in. But is it possible? Yeah, of course that's possible. And some people do it. But I think that we feed that to to a lot of people in this industry that this is easy and you can do it too. Well, not everyone can do it. But you don't have to be where we are. You can be a lot further up the totem pole than where on average the hairdresser is. Sorry, so no, I, no, no I'm, I'm so pleased that you brought this up. I'm, I'm so on your page about this um, because I do think, you know, with this sort of lifestyle, lifestyle effect, social media, all of these things have come into play and that our teams do expect. I don't want to work Saturdays. I don't want to work late nights. And as owners, we're being forced to yeah. provide other, other um, options. I just want to work nine till two, whatever, whatever. And the yeah. pressure is on to do that. But we fail to communicate the consequence of those choices. Mm. And so we, we being for, feeling forced to provide all of this lifestyle and great hours, say yes, give in, pay lots, and then leave them to it. And then when they're disgruntled and unhappy because they're not create, um, achieving targets, got enough mm. clients, um, they feel the industry is to blame. It's a terrible industry or your salon's to blame. And they not only leave the salon, they leave the industry and find something else to do behind a desk um, that pays for less effort. And so Mm -hmm. I think you're right. We're doing ourselves an an unjust, uh, anyway, you know what I mean, an injustice. (laughs) That comes back to the leadership thing. That comes back to the leadership. Agree, agree. And so we need to work out, what is the career path and when do you get, when is the right time for you to work less hours and work the lifestyle, but you don't arrive in day one doing the best, you know, the best hours and, and uh, on the highest wage. It's, 
it's a pathway. Like start working late nights, do the Saturdays, build the clientele because clients that don't know you, like you, trust you, they're not going to come to you in between nine and two. They want to come in peak hours that don't, they don't know you yet. Building a new clientele needs you to be there, do the hard yards and somewhere we've forgotten that. Um, I do, but I do blame, like you said, I do blame social media a little bit. My, my son, he's 15, bless him. And he loves to watch YouTube. He's into cars and all the things. And so he watches the car influences, same thing happening in different industry. And he wants the big car and the big house and all of the things, but he's not seen the pathway that it's taken for people to get there. And they didn't just wake up tomorrow with a big car and a big house. Yeah. They did the work, they did the hard yards, do the groundwork. Um, and so I think as owners, it's our responsibility to lead people through that pathway and don't give them false hope, which is what you were saying, that tomorrow yeah. you can earn a million dollars. Build something that's aspirational. Be a leader. You know, pe- people don't know what they don't know. And so you need to invest in them. You need to, you need to, you know, develop them and build them and build a brand and build a career path for them. So many salon owners now all over the world are reverting to a, a booth rental or chair rental model. And, you know, I just sort of say to them, look, what, what do you, what do you, what is your ultimate goal? Is it that you're building a brand, a business that, you know, gives people a career path and, you know, it's something that you're building that's a part of your community that, that, that one day you can hopefully even sell? Or are you just providing a place for people to work out of? And that's what's happening in so many cases in this industry. It's just, oh, I'm essentially, I'm just the landlord. I'm providing a place for people to work out of and I'm getting paid some pittance for rent a chair. And it's like, you'd be better off working for you rather than, you know, trying to run a business and make money like this. It's, it's a shame, but that is, um, you know, what, what some people are doing. But it doesn't have to be that way. That's, that's uh, you know, that's the message. It doesn't have to be that way. And there are lots of great examples. I mean, you know, uh, Oscar, Oscar Salons in, in uh, Australia, Paul Seville, uh, Seville's in, in uh, you know, New Zealand. There's lots of great businesses out there, but, um, you know, they take time and effort you know, and a lot of sacrifice and a lot of learning and a lot of pain sometimes uh, to build them. But it's, a, it's well worth doing if you have got it in you to make that happen, you know. And if you haven't, there's a lot of education and a lot of guidance out there that you can get from other people who have done it, who can lead you in that direction. But um, it, it, it's, it's a lie to tell people that it's easy and that it's their birthright and it's going to happen, you know, straight off the bat because it just isn't. Yeah, yeah. I think we can do better than that as owners, I think. Yeah. All right. I I recognize, you know, to build a brand and to build a solid business, one of the most important elements, we don't have a business without a team. What would you say would be the one thing in your experience? Because if you had to just choose the one, uh, the one thing we need to focus on to effectively build a team. I mean, there are so many things. So I know this is a hard question, Mm. but... What do you think is the one thing that if we just need to pick it up today and I'm just going to focus on one thing to help build my team, what would that be? Well, uh, it comes back to leadership. That would would be the number one thing to me. But before I thought leadership, I was going to say culture, but it's, it's both, you you know, you need to 
because they're both should be aspirational. You should want to be part of that. You should want to, you should be walk, you should walk in that door at work and go, oh my God, this is where I belong. I feel so good here. This place brings out the best in me. You know, this is where I'm the best version of myself. And if you can work in a business like that, and they do exist, it's fantastic, you know, that, that's, because that's how you attract and keep people because you're providing them a, a place for them to grow and develop. Um, so, and, and culture and leadership go hand in hand because it's your job to define the culture that you want in your business. And if you want a culture where people are going to be independent and, you know, have autonomy and, you know, wear what they want and do what they want and come and go as they want, that's okay if that's what you want. It's not what I want, okay? Uh, it, it, it's not what represents an aspirational career path for a lot of people, but I totally get that it is what some people want as both employees and employers, you know, so it fills a need, but it's all about as an industry, you know, showing um, an alternative uh, to that. And, you know, th there was, I, I mentioned I was on this, this clubhouse room, you know, just before I got on this call. And, you know, the, the woman who was, who was running it, she asked me this question. She said, and I've got, I'm just, look, I'll look at my notes because they were from, uh, from that. She said to me, um, what advice would you give to people today, young people uh, and salon owners? Because what they want is high earnings, and flexibility about when and how they work and autonomy. So to be their own boss, I can do what I want when I want. And they want the ability to grow. Now, are all those things good? Yeah, they're all fantastic. Okay. And, and as a salon owner, you want people to earn more because if they earn more, they're going to stay. You want them to stay. You want to give people flexibility so that their, their lifestyle and your business can work in harmony, you know, so they can pick up the kids or drop the kids off or go to a parent teacher evening or whatever flexibility means for them. You want them to have a degree of autonomy and you definitely want them to have the ability to grow. But something has to give. And I, I use the analogy of, I can always remember this, this young woman came into the salon when I was standing behind the chair as a stylist. And she got the picture out. This is pre, you know, phones. There was no Instagram, right? She got the picture out of the magazine. And she said, I want this. And I went, wow, yeah, that's beautiful. And uh, she had like long sort of one length hair. And she said, I want that. And I said, fantastic. Now, the picture that she showed me was like a couple of inches shorter and I had a lot of movement in it. And, you know, it had movement in it because it had long layers in it, you know. And so I said to her, fantastic. Well, look, let's get you shampooed. And, uh, you know, I'll take a couple of inches off the length and I'll put some long layers in it. And she went, oh, my God, I, I, don't, I don't want layers. I don't want layers. I, I've just grown the layers out. And I was like, well, OK, you, don't, I, you know, you don't have to have layers. But then I said to her, but if you want that and pointed to the picture, then that's got long layers in. So you don't have to have layers. But if you want it to look like that, then it has to have long layers. And she said, but I don't want layers. And I went, okay, I won't layer it. She said, but I want it to look like that. And I said, sweetheart, look, you know, you can, if you want this, you have to have that. Like the two go hand in hand. So in other words, you want the high earnings? Honey, it ain't going to happen working a three-day week, you know, 25 nine hours, two. Doing two clients a day. It, it just isn't going to happen. I'm cool with you working a three-day week nine to two or whatever it's going to be, right? I'm happy with that. I can offer that flexibility. I don't mind being a, a salon owner who has to now, 
you know, have different shifts and, and, you know, putting rotors together can be a nightmare, but that is the reality of our world now. And that's okay. I can live with that. But, but that's the bit that gives. There has to be a trade-off. Less hours means less money. Oh, but I need more money. Well, okay. So you need to work more to generate the money. You know, like it's, it's frustrating. <laughs> it's frustrating sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, all right. Very good. Anthony, as a business owner yourself, tell me what is a quote or a mantra or something that keeps you focused on the straight and narrow, especially when things get tough? What can you share? Uh, there's a quote that I heard years ago. It was by an American football coach by the name of Vince Lombardi. And uh, he's a famous American football coach. He had lots of quotes, but there's one that I just love. And it is, the man at the top of the mountain or the person at the top of the mountain didn't fall there. I just love that. <laughs> oh, so do I. I haven't no, heard that one. I, I love that a lot. The top of the mountain didn't fall there. You, it's, it's hard work. You climb there. You train. You practice. And, you know, it's not easy. And, and it's not crowded when you get there. So, you know, I suppose that has been something that for years that I've often thought that is, you know, that's the message. Man, the person at the top of the mountain didn't fall there. You climbed there. I, I think that's actually sort of the perfect quote for really just exactly what we've been talking about. You know, yeah. despite yeah. all the changes in the industry and the pressure and the desire of the up and coming generations, mm-hmm. um, mountains are, still aren't flat even post covid so we yep. still have to climb the mountain where someone still has to do the work and so i think that's just absolutely perfect for uh wrapping up today's conversation all right what is a a, a book a podcast or something that you've engaged in recently you, you think all salon owners should get their hands on well um i am shamelessly going to plug my own books and my own yes podcast. please uh, but, I'm, but, I'm, but I'm doing that because I genuinely, I genuinely mean it. That, that's why I wrote those books, because they didn't exist for me as a salon owner. And, you know, that's, that's why I started being an educator. That's why I wrote those books. So uh, any of the Grow series, um, you know, that you can get from my website. And, and as a podcast, uh, you know, again, like you, we had the opportunity to talk to lots of very interesting people. And you know, if you came up to me in a bar and asked me these questions, I'd go, oh, Larissa, calm down, chill out. It, do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's not the right environment to do that. But podcasts are the right environment to have these deep and meaningfuls and ask these important questions. And so I just love having these guests on, on my show that, you know, you, you can dig in deep about what makes them tick. And the, the podcast that actually has just come out today, uh, yesterday, Tuesday, is with a guy called Paul Stafford, who is a, a Belfast hairdresser. And, you know, I've done a lot of podcasts, but this is, this is a very moving one. He really shares his journey. And he's had a, a, a journey that's had its ups and its downs. And he's brutally honest um, about what's worked and what hasn't worked. And, uh, it's well worth checking out. It's a, it's a great story, as are, you know, a lot of them on there. I highly recommend. I think that that's one of the great things about the world today, about our industry, is that there are so much resources out there 
that are free that people can tap into to get inspired by other people's journey. Um, because I often, you know, I get on these, you know, podcasts or whatever, and I, I sometimes at the beginning of them, I, I have to say to myself, literally, don't be negative. Don't be negative. Be really positive. Okay. Um, because I think that's important. But yet again, I've talked a little bit about some of the things that are wrong in the industry. But I only do that because we can only make them right if we ex- acknowledge that they exist and acknowledge that there's an alternative. Do you know what I mean? So that's right. Agreed. Uh, yeah. I say, I say with with the most you know uh, positive intentions from them. So yeah, for sure, agree. All right, we'll put uh, a link to those in the show notes of this episode. Anthony, it's been a pleasure catching up with you, uh, chewing the fat over the industry. Um, I really appreciate your time today. My absolute pleasure, Larissa. I think what you do is fantastic. And uh, it's been lovely to have this opportunity to connect with you uh, over Zoom here. So until next time. Likewise. Ciao. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the podcast. Tune in every week as I reveal the latest insights and advice on what it takes to truly master your inner salon CEO and master your salon success. Subscribe to the Salon Owners Collective podcast on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at www.salonownerscollective.com. But make sure to join me in my Facebook group for answers to common questions and much, much more. Thanks for listening and I look forward to tuning in with you again next week.